Hello. Hi. I'm Emma. And I'm Chris. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. As you can probably tell, this is not Shannon. Uh, <laughs> I'm not is, Shannon. This is Chris. Would you like to introduce yourself a little? Or do, we, do you want me to? Whatever, whatever you want, Emma. <laughs> <It's weird. laughs> so this is Chris. He is my brother-in-law, but he is also a law professor at uh, Florida State University. Whoa, we do need to back up there. Yeah. I'm a law professor at the University of Florida. <laughs> Sorry. Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> they are they our opponents. Well, a Worthy opponents, to be sure. But they're in Tallahassee, and we're down here in Gainesville. Well, this is this gives you some indication of how much I know about any of my family members and what they do for a living. Um, <laughs> so... That's fine. So sorry. Yes. Professor Hampson of University of Florida, <laughs> Florida State. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. No, um, good to be here. My whole family are big fans of this podcast. My wife likes the yay. banter. My kids like the violence and suspense. <laughs> the violence? Well, the violence? less violent, more mystery. Okay. Creepiness. I feel bad now because I definitely, I definitely play up a lot of that. And I don't, I love my niece and nephew and I don't want them scared. The podcast makes them just the right level of scared. Right. Yeah, trauma, trauma at the perfect level to exactly. keep them humble. Exactly. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, I feel bad. Well, before we get anywhere further into what Chris has come on to talk to us about, if you would like to listen to any of our backlog where Shannon is also co-hosting, you can go to our website at thispodcastdoesnexist.com or to any of the podcast hosting spaces where you find everything else like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, all that fun stuff. But also on our website, you can find a bingo card if you would like to play along and check things off. And then if you get any or if you don't, let us know on Instagram where we live the most. So if you want to see anything on our socials, it'll probably be on Instagram. But yeah, I'm just going to let you take it away. I haven't I, I know what the topic is, but I have no clue what the actual like story is. So I'm very okay. excited. Well, it's a great story. It may be a little different from some of the other ones you've done on the podcast. It's not aliens or not deer or people jumping out of planes, but it is not about deer. gold and yes. lots of gold. We love treasure hunting here. Yeah, it is about gold. So, And there are several chapters to it, um, but it starts with a ship called The Ship of Gold. Um, there's a great <laughs> book about this by a man named Gary Kinder, actually a graduate of our law school. And it's, it's called the, the SS Central America. So you've heard of the Titanic. This is before the Titanic. Um, Ooh, Shannon would, Shannon's going to love this episode. <laughs> yeah. The ship of gold sinks before the Titanic. So and it all goes back to the gold rush in the United States. Mm. Um, the 49ers find gold in the hills near San Francisco. And so at the time, there are two ways to get back and forth between the two coasts of the country. Um, one is a very long journey across the land through covered wagon, or you can go by, by vessel. So in the late 1850s, a bunch of people were returning from California with a bunch of gold, gold bars, gold coins, gold dust. And they sailed from San Francisco 
all the way down to Panama. They took a train over the Isthmus of Panama, which at the time took about three to four hours, and brought them to Aspinwall, Panama, which is on the Atlantic coast. And there they boarded the SS Central America. It was a United States mail steamship. So like the Titanic, it was a, a steam vessel. The ship left Aspinwall, Panama, spent an overnight in Havana, and then headed up toward the American Northeast. I forget exactly where it was supposed to land, but it was carrying 21 tons of gold coins and ingots from the California gold rush. Peace. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was piloted by a man named Captain William Herndon. Great pilot, by the way. Actually, he had spent quite a bit of his time exploring various parts of the United States that hadn't been explored before. Wrote a great book about the Mississippi River Delta, uh, which ended up inspiring someone who would later come to be known as Mark Twain. Um, uh -huh. So Captain Herndon is, is on the, the, the captaining this vessel. They're going north and they hit a hurricane. When you're in a steamship, the nice thing about it, and it was a wooden steamship, by the way, you can just go straight into the waves. Like and through the hope them? Was, like the perfect storm? Kind of. You kind of go through it. I mean, this was the oh optimism. <laughs> this, this is what people loved about the Central America and what they loved about the Titanic as well. The age of sail was going away and the age of steam. I mean, the Central America did have sail as well. You sort of had both systems. But when a storm comes up, you know, you can just plow forward through the waves. Oh, my um, gosh. I didn't even think about that as a thing. That Just the image of, no, I don't. Ugh. Okay, continue. I, I mean, <laughs> I would have taken the, the Conestoga. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. The Conestoga, Conestoga wagon across the land. There's no way I would have gone on the boat. No, 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 no. I don't. I'm not a water person. No, I you'll be even less of a water person after this. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is the boat springs a leak. And again, it's a wooden vessel. So because there's water coming in, it's driven by coal. The water starts to cool down the furnaces. So the boat is slowing down and that makes it less effective when it's going into the waves. And so it's tossing and turning a lot more. And because it's going slower, it's riding lower in the water. More water's coming in through the leak. Oh God. Um, they set up a bucket brigade to try to get water out of the bottom of the boat. And they've got every single man on board shoveling coal as fast as they can into the furnace to try and keep the thing moving. And the boat kind of limps along for hours and hours and hours through multiple nights. While this is happening, a couple other boats do swing by. So they manage to lower the lifeboats and get people off into other ships. But okay, after a while, so people are, and again, you, you really, if if you want the the sort of cinematic prose of how this actually happens, you have to read Gary Kinder's book. Oh, people! I thought you were going to give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, a scene that stuck with me from his book is people had all this gold from California. They left everything behind to go to California to get the gold. They're coming back. Some of them are coming back. This is the only gold they or their families ever had, and now they're going onto these lifeboats. Well, gold is heavy, so yeah. they can't bring it. So people are throwing gold dust in the air on this sinking vessel. They're tossing coins overboard, and they're getting into these lifeboats. In the end, the vessel, the sails were broken. 
water was coming in through the bottom, huge wave comes over it, it, it cracks, it goes down. 425 people died of the 578 passengers. Jeez, that's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of people. The um the sinking of the Central America started, uh, you know, there'd been such this this big American optimism in steamships. And it not only did it destroy some of that optimism, but it contributed to an economic panic in 1857 when it happened. Is that right at the beginning or right before the Gilded Age? It's a great question. You'd think I'd know. Well, the only reason um, I ask I is know. because I had an actual class on the Gilded Age, and I remember that <laughs> being a part of it. Of like, it was as it wasn't as gilded as you thought, and it was like Mark Twain talking about stuff. So it just it must have within, been before. Yeah, yeah, it, it fits Mark, into my knowledge of that. Yeah, Mark Twain is inspired by Captain Herndon. Yeah, and you know, after this, of course, I think of when I think of the Gilded Age, I think the Titanic is part of that, right? So the Titanic is after this. So the Titanic is like the end of the Gilded yeah, Age. People were. Learn to be, learn to fear the ocean a little bit, but I guess not quite enough because. Well, but the, the steel, because you're saying this is a wooden boat. And so That's I'm right. sure there was fear in that. Whereas a steel ship, there was some kind the, the unsinkable aspect of it, of like, we've made it impossible to penetrate this to a degree where people will die. You'll be fine. And then people die. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's right. I think if you were someone who got on the Titanic, you were someone who knew about the ship of gold, you knew about the SS Central America, and and, and maybe that shift from wood to steel is what convinced you that this was going to be fine. Maybe that was the thing. But I mean, like, it was also mostly European people on the Titanic. Yeah. But they were all going were, to America. So these were 49ers. Oh. Yeah. So they, it, the sinking of the Central America sparks this economic panic. In the Northeast, the Northeast had been kind of economically lagging at the time, and and a bunch of people were hoping for this gold to get back. And of course, Retro. It <laughs> nope. Yep. Sorry. Even the lives that had been saved, I mean, they came back. Some of these people had spent years in California. They were coming back with their fortune, and they left all of it in the seas off of South Carolina. That must have sucked, though. Not just because obviously people died, but and just the idea of sitting on your ship water sitting on a lifeboat watching the ship go down going my entire livelihood my life is genuinely over in a way that i didn't imagine it would be yeah a lot of hopes sunk with that ship and there we have professor hampson <laughs> <laughs> i'm tempted to say questions yes which is there what you i go. say in my in my bankruptcy and contracts class but it's a apparently podcast. none please continue yeah <laughs> um okay so that's part one of our story the central america goes to the bottom of the ocean off of south carolina and it's undiscovered for 130 years Ooh. so part two of the story is about tommy thompson so tommy thompson is a uh, a genius a kind of wonderkind with machines he's born in huntington indiana and he's raised in a small town in Ohio called Defiance. And a little bit of foreshadowing, he's the guy who finds the Central America. So that's why mm. he comes in. But it's been 130 years. And, and it eventually he starts looking at around the same time that people are starting to look for the Titanic. So he had always had a, a real knack for designing machines. So once when he was a young man out on a deep sea vessel, a bunch of seagulls were shitting all over the boat. And he figured out that he could electrify the fence 
so that the birds would fly off. Oh. Instead of shooing them away or shooting at them, just electrify the fence. Um, the fun thing was, though, the birds realized that they only got electrified if both of their little feet were on the fence. And so he'd turn on the power and they'd lift up one foot. He'd turn it off and they'd put the foot down. And so he figured that out is, that you that could make the like birds a dance. Cartoon. That feels like a cartoon of these <laughs> birds going, I've figured it out. I figured it out. We yeah. don't have to leave. We get to do whatever we want. We just have to lift a foot up so we don't, you know, continue or connect the current. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a little, they're all playing Cotton Eye Joe. They're just... Yeah, we're both doing the little dance. You can't see yes. this because you're listening. So sorry, but, visual yeah, bit. Visual bit. We apologize. Um, so in, in 1977, Tom, Thompson begins researching deep ocean shipwrecks and, and technologies for, for finding them. He wants the deep sea for a bunch of different reasons. So there are um, all across the Caribbean, there are all sorts of shipwrecks, some of them with gold in fairly shallow water. Mm. Um, but there are two problems with shallow water. One is they're very sandy. So um, whatever treasure is inside these vessels um, sometimes gets under the sand. And the more you go down there and try to find it, the the further down it goes into the sand. Yeah, it's like um, trying other... to dig through, like, you know, when you build a sand castle. Yeah. And you, like, get to that point of the water table where, like, you it, you, can't, you can't dig any further without the water filling in and pushing more sand into it. And things keep moving and going under and under. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what I think of. That's exactly right. But there are all sorts of people, scuba divers, basically, who are Ugh. trying to find wrecks with gold in those shallow waters and that's the other problem with the shallow waters is that you've got maybe a hundred years where something's been underneath it pretty good chance someone got there before you but if you go out to the deep sea you might be the first one he also realized that he needed a big payload in order to get financing for this thing and that's part of why he didn't want to go for the titanic so mm. the steel hull made it harder to sink but it also makes it harder to get into and to pull stuff out. And unlike the ship of gold, the passengers on the Titanic were coming over with yeah, their clothes for the Clothing, trip. Clothing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's not as much value underneath it. Um, and nothing the, that would have stayed put. That would have stayed put. Exactly. The deep sea is not easy at all. Have you seen this meme online that we know more about the surface yes. of Mars than we do about the deep sea? That honestly, is that true? I feel like it's true. I think it is true for a couple reasons. So one is it's it's impossible to see down to the bottom of the ocean. Mm. But with telescopes, you can see to the moon, you can see to Mars. You can use light to get through. When you're going down through salt water, the light does not penetrate very far. So it gets very dark. In space, you do have zero gravity. But at the bottom of the ocean, you have very, very punishing yeah, extreme uh, pressure. density, pressure. Yeah. So anything you build could get crushed. As and as as we all know now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Unfortunately, yeah. we There's, do not yeah. have to talk about that. <laughs> that no. honestly terrifies me. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it either. Uh, you, you know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last one, which I hadn't thought about, is salt water. So yeah. as bad as space is, space is basically nothing. If you're in the deep ocean, you have salt and you're trying to run electronics down there. 
And two things that are really bad for electronics are water and salt. So very hard to see. Even, even sonar is hard to get really down there. So it's difficult to do. The way that a lot of these oceanographers ended up doing it is to say, look, you know, everyone's instinct is let's build a submarine, put a living human person in it and dump it to the bottom of the ocean and they'll steer the thing around and find the ship. It, it turns out to be a pretty bad idea because of all these dynamics. Really? So <laughs> what, they, what they do is the idea is to put as much of the functionality of your tools on the boat on the surface. Mm. So the people so steering it just, are on the boat. You're just a camera. You're, it's just a camera in the ocean. A camera, maybe we need some claws and a little box to put the gold in. And we're going to drop it down. And, and as much functionality as we can get on the boat, we're going to put it on the boat. So the person driving the vessel is going to be on the boat. So you just need like a big, long, giant USB cord. <laughs> you know, those like 16-footer ones that you get at CVS. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> your no, phone, it... So you can lay down in bed and read your book from your phone without yeah. having to, you know, move over. And it's actually coaxial cable and 7,000 feet. But the basic well, idea, yes, anyone who has, anyone who's struggled with Bluetooth headphones knows how <laughs> that you think of it as an advance. So like, why not? Why don't we just send this little vessel down and we'll just communicate with it through the wireless? Well, you can't use wireless through 7,000 feet of ocean water. You need to have a cable. Literally me trying to get this podcast episode today starting to record. <laughs> incapable of getting my Bluetooth headphones to connect. So I just plugged them in. <laughs> yeah, just plug it in. So that's Thompson's strategy. There are a couple pieces to his strategy that works. So in, in 1985, he begins raising money. He raises about $1.5 million from various groups in Ohio, and they do an exhaustive search to figure out what sunken vessel they're going to go after. And they decide on the Central America for a bunch of reasons. Um, because the, the sinking was so famous, there were a lot of contemporaneous news reports about where it had sunk and what day and exactly when. Mm. Captain Herndon had taken some pretty good measurements throughout the storm of their location, as did some of the other um, vessels that came by and saved some of the souls that were on board. So they had a bunch of information about where it might have been, but they obviously didn't know exactly. So what they designed was a, a seed phase where they would raise the money. Uh, and then a search phase where they would try to find the Central America, and then a recovery phase. So that's the the mid 1980s. Okay. The other feature of what he tries to do: Have you ever played battleships? He loved battleship. Yeah. What's your strategy for battleships when you're trying to hit the enemy vessels? I usually start with the corners. Uh huh. And then after the corners have been if I don't hit anything, I then start from the middle and go out. Yeah. And you kind of, um, do you sort of scatter them uniformly? Yeah. A little yeah. bit. Just mostly for my own, like, all right. So this quadrant or whatever to like yeah. try and get through at least like two lines of whatever uh, blocks are. I haven't played Battleship in forever. <laughs> I want to play Battleship now. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's exactly what they what they do. Uh, in a way. So he uses what's called Bayesian search theory, where, you know, instead of just going like A1, A2, A3, yeah. A4, they construct a field and they're 
you know, pretty sure that the Central America is somewhere in this field. Um, and they're going to test, they're going to um, run a, a sonar sled under the water and kind of go methodically through testing places based on the probability of where the Central America is, kind of look at everything before deciding which one to go down and, and take a look at. So the, the sort of sled that they have, the sonar device, it's called the C mark. They they lower it down into the water. You have to get it underneath so that it can actually map the ocean floor. The pictures that it's developing aren't perfect, but they're not going all the way down yeah. with the submersible that can, you know, pick up stuff just yet. They're kind of cruising along. And Tommy insists to everybody's annoyance that they finish the entire probabilistic field before they got, start to go down and look at things. And the reason that annoys people is that uh, fairly quickly in the process, they start seeing things that they think might actually be the Central America. And the crew wants to get down, find it, get the Eager. gold, come back yeah. up. And Tommy's the guy saying, no, no, it's all probability. We don't know that it's the Central America. We got to keep mapping out this whole field. I um, mean, that seems smart to me. I feel like I shouldn't say that because he feels weirdly like a villain, but like... I don't know. I have no, I genuinely have no clue. But like, I don't know. Like, I feel like they shouldn't be annoyed. I feel like he's right in terms of probability. I think he is right in terms of probability. I mean, he's the genius who found it. That said, it is hard to live on a boat for that's over fair. six weeks, especially with people that you don't know really well. I think that's right. I actually, I think it. I mean, they, yeah. Turns out, one of the ships they were on, the skipper had decided that he didn't want to stay at sea for longer than 14 days. And so he <laughs> deliberately did not pack enough food and kind of announced it to the crew like, oh, we're out. Guess we got to go back. Honestly, and... smart move. I feel like, yeah, if that's if that's your goal, do it. If that's your your manipulative move, at least you executed it well. <laughs> like... yeah. So they... It, it, and it takes a lot of time, right? And they're going, mm. they're, you know, going along in the waters off of um, South Carolina. I believe they're departing from Jacksonville uh, as their as their uh, home port. And they're out in the ocean trying to drag this sledge underneath, which is, you know, it's difficult because among other things, they're not the only people out there. Mm. They have a, a little bit of an altercation with the Navy, two destroyers oh, and a nuclear submarine. Fun. The Navy does not want to abandon their exercises until the captain of Tommy's ship says, are you aware of this law that says if you damage our little sled, you have to pay us money? And it's actually quite an expensive sled. And the government's like, ooh. We'll, we'll back off. So you want to hear about what they found? Yes, please. So they find this. They, they're looking at the pictures and they see something that they call galaxy. And galaxies kind of got it's a bunch of debris scattered around the ocean floor in a galaxy-like shape. Okay. And in particular, one of the things they think is that when a wooden vessel that used coal sinks, there's going to be a lot of coal around it. So um, they're feeling pretty good about, about galaxy. They have an underwater robot called the Nemo. Cute. Yeah. Um, 20,000 leagues not finding <laughs> yeah, exactly. for people who need to know. Yeah. So they, you know, it's the other thing that's difficult to be about being in the deep sea is that your, your, your kind of home base 
the the ship that you're on is also moving. And so you mm. need special kinds of ships that can kind of stay put mm. um, as much as possible on the surface of the water. So they they've got an they've got something that they they think is probably the Central America. But at the time, they are not the only ones looking for the Central America. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> there's another vessel out there called the Liberty Star that is kind of moving into their personal space, so to speak. Okay. And they radio over and ask whose vessel it is. And they say the trustees of Columbia University. <laughs> so there's some competition. Um, okay. Ami's a genius, but there are other people trying to get to it. So, so this is where law comes in. There are rules about what happens when you find a sunken vessel and who gets how much of it. Maritime and it really, really helps to be weird. the person who got there first. That's yeah, it's a little bit finders keepers, it sounds like. Yeah. The rules are kind of law called admiralty law, which is not something I specialize in, but I enjoyed learning about it a lot for um, this podcast. You can at Um, least parse it better than anyone I know. (laughs) So the admiralty court can give rights to the person who found the vessel, but they need to have jurisdiction over the vessel first. And Ah. courts usually meet on land, not on boats (laughs) in the middle of the water. So the way that they get jurisdiction is through this legal fiction of you got to get a piece of the boat and bring it to us. Oh. <gasps> so Tommy and his team think, well, we've got a wooden steamship. What better than a piece of coal? Let's okay. send the Nemo down there and grab a piece of coal. And they're doing this again. Columbia University is nipping at their heels. So they got to get down there and grab a piece of coal. Hey, can um, I ask a question? Yeah. Is the coal considered part of the ship because it's part of the shipwreck? They actually talked about that with their lawyers. Okay. Is that a yes? I think the answer is yes. Because it's collectively a part of the ship that went down? I think that's right. It's something that was aboard it. Their lawyer did some legal research and concluded that it was yes. I mean, I would love to get, you know, you'd love to bring up something big and heavy. The downside of doing that is you then need to literally bring it to the court. Oh, yeah. And so (laughs) I have to present it. You've got your 7,000 foot USB cable and your little pinky <laughs> robot underneath in crushing pressure in total darkness with salt. Maybe we'll just try. We'll start with the coal and then see. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> so they go down, they get the, they get the coal. Oh, the, the trustees of Columbia university are nipping at their heels. So now they got to figure out, we'd like to get this piece of coal to the courtroom as fast as possible and get jurisdiction over the central America. So Tommy calls in an audible from one of his friends who owns a plane. Ah. And they're going to try to get this chunk of coal onto the plane. The problem is, for a bunch of mechanical reasons, the plane is not going to be able to land on the deep ocean next to Tommy's ship. That that makes sense. So they devise a sky hook. They connect the little piece of coal to a long length of string, send out the rowboat, Hold the uh, coal out, and this guy comes over in his plane and scoops it up on a hook and flies back toward. I think it's Virginia. I think I think the court is in Virginia. I love the idea of this plane coming to take a, I presume, tiny piece of coal, small enough that it can yeah. be attached to a string. They put it in like <laughs> bubble wrap to protect it. 
good. Yeah. It is survived. This little piece of coal has been at the bottom of the ocean for 130 years, just waiting to be found. And Here then this, the minute it's above water, it's flying. It's flying. Yes. Through the air. <laughs> then, of course, the pilot of the plane realizes he has to land. Uh, with the piece of coal attached. In, attached and intact. And so you can't really land on a runway when mm -hmm. you're dragging a piece of coal on a giant piece of string. So the nice thing is he is in a, um, a seaplane. So he lands mm -hmm. on he lands on a river, pulls the coal in, and but, then flies off to the court. Okay. Well, problem solved. Good job, sir. Problem solved. They get uh, they bring it into the court. The judge is thrilled. I would be too if I were a judge. This is the case of life. <laughs> and it's really cool. He does award them jurisdiction over the vessel. Okay. And they get an injunction warning Columbia University to leave them alone. Nice. And in fact, they have to enforce that against some other people as well. There was another boat called the Cameron Seahorse, which defied the court order. So they called the judge uh -oh. on the judge's 40th wedding anniversary, and <gasps> he ordered everyone from that boat into court, took all their equipment and held them in contempt. Hilarious. Yeah. I love that. I love, though, that he's like, no, no, this is mine. This is theirs. <laughs> this, they, they, they got there first. There's just one problem. It's not the Central America. <gasps> they find another boat? Well, there's no gold. They send, they send the Nemo down and they're looking and they do not see any gold. And they conclude... That what they actually found and flew in for the court was just some other boat. steam steamboat, not the Central America, because there's no gold there. What a bummer. I know. <laughs> the good news is now everyone thinks that that's where it is. So that's fair. Able They're going to gonna go, be. Yeah. They can go explore somewhere else. Wow. And this is where Tommy's insistence that they do the whole map really came into play. Because that's fair. Once they once they said, OK. It's not the first one we thought it was. They go back to their probability map and they say, okay, these are the other things that we saw that kind of look like they might be a steamboat. And this steamboat had, you know, the big wheels on the sides. Mm -hmm. And what they thought was no one had ever found one of these things that had been at the bottom of the ocean for 130 years, but they thought that they probably would see side wheels like that. They thought okay. they'd be able to see the wheels. They expected to see a lot of coal. They expected to see a lot of gold. So then they they go back to the map. They find another another sort of blip on the sonar that checked all the right boxes. And they're learning, too. This is cutting-edge science at the time. So they're starting to learn. This is what the sonar thing looks like when you see a boat. Um, what, is, what year is it again? This is the 1980s. Okay. I think 1988 is when they find it. Okay. Late 80s. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. I have to, like, visualize in my head what they're wearing so i can like, <laughs> figure out what the technology might look like probably those square glasses you know yeah yep. longer ish hair longer hair pretty sure yeah baggy outfits everything's polyester i'm there i think that's i think that's right although i wonder 1980s boat style is probably different from 1980s walking around style oh that's fair Although the, I feel like the boat shoes have not changed. That's probably true. I feel like most preppy like outfits of today, like the what's considered preppy like clothing, translates pretty easily into 1980s. Like the polo shorts, long yeah. shorts situation. 
Yeah, yeah, that might be right. There are pictures. There are pictures because it was a, it was a scientific <laughs> expedition. You'll have to send think, them to me. I think for Tommy, it's it was very much like, you know, getting to Everest. I want to do it because no one's done it yet. Like finding the Titanic. Yeah, like finding the Titanic. So the next place they go, um, they send down Nemo. They look around and they do start to see gold. They they bring back their next attempt to get jurisdiction is they bring back a bar of gold oh, from well, the actual Central America. They get it to the judge. They update the coordinates of their discovery. So I guess now they they are the the the, the salvagers or the salvors of two vessels. Um, oh yeah. What, in, did they just leave the other one because it only had coal? Yeah, they just they just kind of left it, which must have confused Columbia University. I was going to say for everyone, everyone else snooping around, being like, "Why'd they leave? Why did you leave? <laughs> what question. happened? What, what's going on? What's going on? Why did you leave?" So they pull up from the Central America. Um, they they start pulling up coins and they look at the coins, and they see these you know twenty dollar gold coins stamped from the eighteen fifties. They pull up 500 gold ingots, 7,500 gold coins, dust, collection of foreign silver coins. And then eventually the giant pall is they get up um, the bell from the Central America, which is, you know, pretty identifies the vessel. It doesn't have the name of the Central America on it, but it was documented in it, some it, capacity. It been, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty impressive. So they, they locate bring the, up bell. the whole bell. Yeah. So they found the Central America. You want to hear what happens after that? No, actually, I'm I'm good. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, to leave. it's been fun. All right. <laughs> Don't tell me. So, and I apologize on behalf of my profession, but they get sued <laughs> by insurance companies. Thirty nine insurance companies. Whoa. Now, and they all say, "Hey, guys, we insured the Central America back in the 1850s when it sunk." And uh, insured quite a lot of the gold. And so thanks for finding it for us. But we're entitled to a huge chunk of this this money. Whoa. Um, I can't imagine what Tommy must have felt. I would have been pissed. Who's holding on to that? Like, who, well, who knew that? I have no idea. 140 years? It's a long that... time to keep paperwork. Yeah. I mean. a lot. That's a lot. Some insurance companies are very old. So I'm willing to believe that they could say, hey, we we um, are the same company as the one 130 years ago. They might even have something that says we insured this gold. But do they actually have the contract? And yeah, how can like, they show that they paid the people who survived? Yeah. Like, did they did they go through all of their because this is the 1980s. I assume that all of this is manually done of like just searching through all of the contracts that you have of like this pops up in the news and they go, you know what? We yeah. better check. <laughs> we better check. Well, so the good thing is the court dismisses claims from 21 of these insurance companies Great. right off the bat. So okay. most of them go away. The case is pending in the Eastern District of Virginia, which is known among among my community as the rocket docket because it goes so fast. And so they're a very efficient court. They do a good job. And in this really laudatory opinion of Tommy, they award 92.5% of the haul to Tommy and his company and only 7.5% to the insurance companies. Okay. 
It is the largest maritime award given to a discoverer or a salvor in American history. Whoa. You don't normally get north of 90% of what Did, you find. You probably don't know the answer to this, but I'm trying to think of what the people on the for the Titanic discovery, because I know that that one's more contentious for reasons. It's a good question. I don't know. What so I do know people involved. is that the old British rule was that anything you found goes to the crown. <laughs> Which is, if you think about it, this is why pirates exist. Yep. Because you find some gold. I don't want to give it to the crown. There's nothing in it for me. There's no 90% yeah. award. You know, Mine. Finders so keepers. I, I like the American rule. I like that Tommy got... Tommy and his team got 92.5%. They were rewarded yeah. for their brilliance and hard work. Yeah, you found, you put in all of the work of going out and finding it and being thorough about it and then salvaging it in whatever way needed to be happening. I mean, there's also arguments for like leaving shipwrecks where they are, but this is not the era of that. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Although on on a on the sort of scientific note, we have learned a lot about the 1850s from the coins that have been brought up. Ooh. Um, a lot of the uh, and and we know this because again, this is from a little later in the story. But these these coins are hitting the market, so you can, I think you can actually buy them. My father would die. <laughs> My father would genuinely keel over and die. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> now. I'm He's like. Uh, now I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of buying him one for Christmas. He's a, what is it? He's a, a, a numa, numismatic fan. He likes the coins. Oh, yes. He does like coins. He does collect coins. But he also, sidebar, when I was a child and we were living in Rhode Island or visiting Rhode Island, we weren't living there. We were visiting. We were visiting my grandparents and all of my cousins and we were on the beach and my uncle had metal detectors because of course and so we as kids were going through the all the whole beach with these metal detectors and mine beeped and i dug up a coin big gold coin and it had like it was kind of like rubbed away like it, like it had been washing through the ocean for ages and eras and then i found another one like further up the beach Ooh. they aren't very deep but they're like deep down in the sand, but they're there. And I'm like out of my mind. I'm so excited. My dad's like, we should find a box for you to put them in. Like, this is really fun. Like, I'm so happy that you found them. And I was like, me too. I brought them in for school show and tell in third grade. I told everyone that I found these. I put them in a special box in my room. And then sophomore year of high school, I'm getting ready. I'm just like, you know doing whatever to get ready for school. And I don't know how the conversation started, but my dad takes me to school every morning and he's standing outside of my room while I'm like grabbing all of my stuff. And I like opened up the box that they were in and he like had jewelry in it. And he goes, oh, you still have those. And I was like, yeah, of course I have them. I found them. I They're like, I haven't done any research on them yet, but I bet they're like Spanish doubloons or something. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, I, I thought you knew. I was like, "What are you, what are you saying to me right now?" He goes, "I, I bought those and planted them for you oh. to find." 
because I thought that it would be fun. I was like a third grader. So like in his mind, he's like, it's something fun to do. You're like treasure hunting on the beach. And like, I was the only one of my cousins that found anything. So I was like, I had that kind of like power of like, I found something and you did it. And Nana, these are mine. <laughs> and I felt so betrayed. Oh, and my no. dad felt so bad because, of course, my my father is a sweet, wonderful man. And he had never wanted to, you know, m- make make me sad or like hurt me in that way. And so a couple years go by and then it's Christmas morning and I unwrap this little like folded over plastic thing. And inside of it is a genuine Spanish doubloon. And of course, a genuine Spanish doubloon is not a big gold coin. It's like pretty, it's kind of the same size as a penny. It's octagonal. It has, you know, stamps on either side that tell you what year it was that that it was minted. But like, it it was just so funny because in his head, he was like, this is my redemption. (laughs) I have redeemed myself and given you a true Spanish doubloon. We'd never have to talk about it again. I still make fun of him for it. But that's in our house that I have. I have that displayed in in my house right now. I have no idea what it's worth. But now I'm obsessed with the idea of getting him one of these coins from. Yeah, well, we have to we have to go look. I kind of I kind of want a coin, too. You should. You should should definitely get get one after doing all of this work. You should definitely get one. Yeah, well, I'll I'll, I mean, I'll pay for it. No, I know you would be willing to buy it. I know you would. I'm not saying you go steal it. Oh, no, no, not that. No. But yeah, I mean, I would love to have one of those points. I think it would be great. <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah. So where were we in the story? They found So the sorry. You were, ship. yes, got awarded the 90 whatever. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so technically, Tommy's company gets the 92% of the haul. Biggest maritime award in history. It holds up on appeal. The Fourth Circuit issues this order talking about Tommy's scientific genius. And so the next thing you you think is, well, remember all those people back from Ohio that had raised money to oh, get Tommy yeah. all the equipment to do Your this? Investors. Now he can he can pay them back and they can all go home with their with their proceeds. He doesn't pay them back. Oh no, buddy. He goes radio silent, according to the investors. And they are not at all sure where any of the gold is, where the money is, investor funds. So they sue him in Ohio. Okay. And those cases are eventually moved to federal court. And as part of this lawsuit, the federal judge attaches, which is just a fancy word for saying, you know, you you might lose this lawsuit, Mr. Thompson. If you do, you, you may have to turn over some of these gold coins. One of the things they did to explain the gold coins when you pull up gold bars from the ocean, a bunch of practical problems pop up right away. You kind of don't want to put it under your mattress. Your bank doesn't really want to have it either. And no one really wants to buy it. I mean, we all know gold is valuable, but that's not exactly the form that people want it in. Mm -hmm. So they took a bunch of these gold bars and melted them down and then recast them as 1857 coins. So they mm-hmm. made the old mint and they're, they're called restrikes. And there are 500 of these restrikes that are missing. So the judge attaches them and says, Mr. Tom, if you lose this lawsuit, you're going to have to turn over these 500 gold coins. And I'm ordering you to show up in court 
This is now 2012. So many, many years have gone by ordering you to show up in court and tell us where these coins are. Thompson does not show up in court. And no one has heard from him or seen him or reported him missing? Well, like... not for a while. We know where he is now. Oh. Um, he didn't show up in court. The judge held him in contempt and issued a warrant for his arrest ah. um, for, for failure to comply with this bench warrant. That was that was in 2012. In January 2015, the U.S. Marshal Service located Thompson in Florida. Hey, Florida hey. man. Yeah, Florida man. Starting from Defiance, Ohio, and, and now becoming Florida man. He had a book with him called uh, How to Be Invisible. He had <laughs> money straps with $10,000 in cash, 12 active cell phones, Whoa. Um, and sticky notes over the walls of his apartment with the court dates that he um, had been missing. Um when uh -oh. he was he went a little nutty. I don't know. He went the post, off the, the post the post-its are a little nutty, but well, the thing they say to me is that he knew that he was supposed to be in court. Well, he had post-its, so obviously saying you know, these are all the court dates that I'm yeah. missing. They had some, you know, the, the details are a little mysterious because the feds are still or the, the feds were investigating and now there are private investigators looking at this, but they had they had some storage units near Vera Beach, Florida. And when uh, well, I say they, he was living with his girlfriend, Allison Antikire. Um, So they were both arrested and the government went to go look. The authorities went to go look in the storage units and the storage units had recently been emptied. So That's so suspicious. Yeah. So Thompson is uh, brought back to Ohio. He's charged with criminal contempt. And he agrees to serve a sentence of two years. He pleads guilty. He agrees to serve a sentence of two years. And he agrees to assist the parties in the civil case. And as part of that, everyone kind of understands that he's going to tell the court where the 500 gold restrike coins are. Did they bring up any more of the gold from the... Or is it all in the 500 restrikes, the gold from the ship? Not all of it. So his company okay. had some. And um, in fact, his company, among other things, his company was put into receivership in Ohio, which means it's it's determined that it's, it's being mismanaged. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, Thompson was in Florida for three years. So of course, he wasn't running the show. So the trustee uh, at the, or the receiver at the moment is a man named John Pidcock. And in my view, he's the world's best uh, receiver because he decides to go back down. And, and so get more of the gold and get more of the gold. Oh. And so in 2014, they go down, they pull up another $48 million of gold <gasps> and they get the bell, a 268 pound bell, two feet tall, two feet wide from Morgan Ironworks. And you can probably go see it. It's probably pretty close to you. It's at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis with a statue of Captain Herndon. You I'll go, go visit. see the bell. I'll go visit. Yeah. Woo, road trip. So um, Mr. Pidcock's gone back down and, and gotten some, some more gold. So there's more coming back. His investors have gotten some. But in December 2015, Tommy's in a federal court in Ohio 
and they say, tell us where the gold coins are. And, and, and what, what he says is, well, I put them in a special trust in Belize. Oh, buddy. And so there's a trustee in Belize. And they, they say to Mr. Thompson, okay, great. Well, call the trustee, please, and tell the trustee to send the gold coins back because you may need to give them back to your investors. And Thompson says, um, no. <laughs> the way, he says, uh, you don't no. understand. He says, you don't understand. The way these trusts work is that if the, if the grantor, which is him, if I am under duress, if it looks like a gun's being held to my head, the trustee will not speak with you. And I'm being held in prison. And so there's no point in calling them. He's not going to give you the gold coins. I do love the loyalty aspect of this, of like, they could. <laughs> like they, they could. They, they could, but they won't. Well, right. I mean, this is what these trusts in Belize and a couple other jurisdictions are, are kind of for, as you can put money in, and they won't let it out. I mean, they're safer than Gringotts. <laughs> it's a Harry Potter reference. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and to be so clear, I don't know. Weird. I mean, we'll talk about these gold coins, okay. whether they still exist, where they are, if they're all in one place. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're all still in Belize. I mean, the trustee could be could have put them in a Swiss bank somewhere. Ah. But the trustee's in Belize. Um, so then the court says to Thompson, all right, well, you're not going to call the trustee. I get it. How about you execute a power of attorney? Here's the paper. Uh, just sign it and we'll let someone else call the trustee and we'll just see if that works. And Tommy says, you don't understand. That's not going to work either. It's, it's the same principle. I'm still in prison. Right. He says, still in prison. They're not going to honor this power of attorney. Yeah. So the judge uh, imprisons him. And Tommy has been in a federal court in Michigan since 2015. A federal prison in Michigan? Yeah. Are there only, this is actually a question, a question that I don't know the answer to. Are there only a certain number of federal prisons? I'm pretty confident there's a limited number of federal prisons. As in like, infinite. there's not one in every state? Stop it. There's not like one <laughs> in every state. I don't, <laughs> well, I don't, answer. yeah, no, I don't think there's one. Well, you know, I don't know. There's probably different yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just a bankruptcy guy. It's so weird. I'm sorry. This is, I'm sorry. This I'm is asking part you of, questions you don't know the answer to. Well, it's part of how I come into this case, actually, because I spend all my time as a bankruptcy scholar thinking about fights over money. And usually they don't end up in federal prison. That's fair. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of shocking to me that he's in a federal prison at all. I mean, I get that it's for contempt of court, but He's in there starting in 2015. My guess is there there wasn't one in Ohio that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they I, moved him as close like to minimum Ohio security. Yeah, right. Uh, but he's in he's in prison in um, Michigan. Now that is so December 16th, 2015. This past December marked eight years. Whoa! That he has been in jail, steadfastly refusing to assist in any way with getting the gold coins. Um, again, you know his view. His view is that there's nothing he can do that will help get the gold coins. Um, but he hasn't he hasn't tried to make the phone call. He hasn't tried to sign the document. He's just said it's not going to work, and I'm not going to answer further questions about it. Okay, <laughs> sure, bud. I mean, I don't disbelieve him in that it won't work. But if you also haven't tried to make it work, then obviously you have something else that you're 
the another reason why you're not doing that. That's possible. So that's that is one of the open mysteries. So we can probably turn now to the last piece of it. We talked about Pidcock going back down the bell in Annapolis at the Naval Academy. The open questions that we don't know about are where are the 500 restrikes? Are they in Belize? Was that a lie? Did he spend them? Are they gone? Does someone else have them? But who would who would take it as tender? So like, would it be a, a laundering situation? Maybe. Maybe a collector. I yeah. imagine that if you if you took them, you probably know that these are pretty special coins. You probably have to be careful yeah. about who you show them to. Maybe it's they're like hanging the, out in some wealthy mansion. Yeah, it's like the pieces missing from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum are just right. hanging out in some collector's basement because they can't tell anybody that they have it. Wait, so the 500 restrikes from the original gold that Tommy Thompson brought up, those are the ones that are missing. Yes. Are there restrikes from the other pieces? I don't know if there are restrikes. There are originals. There are original 1857 uh-huh. coins. They're currently being marketed by the California Gold Marketing Group and some other gold groups because the receivership out of Ohio under Mr. Pidcock's leadership, they're supposed to pay back the investors. Yeah. So, so they, they took to everything they have. They run the companies them. now. They went back down. They've got more gold. And over the last several years, their team has been grading the gold. It's in great condition. Um, one of the things we learned from the ship of gold is that things are preserved really well at the bottom of the ocean. Really well. They found clothes. They found diaries. Stuff Whoa. that you think would just disintegrate. And obviously well, some things do disintegrate. But at, at the minute that that diary came up out of the water, I bet it went to dust within yeah. at least a year. Because yeah, that you... that's, that's something that fascinates me as a... <laughs> former conservator (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, that there's just there's things textiles like organic materials almost that or i guess because technically gold is organic but textiles paper leather things that have that innate need to break down over time that it, they're somehow preserved at that pressure, at that temperature, yeah, and without light, and with a certain amount of salinity, which actually can be helpful for certain things. It doesn't break down everything. So once you bring that to the surface and you change that temperature, light, uh, humidity situation, those things almost immediately, every single time, just fall to pieces. Yeah, which is why the. We recently went to a Titanic like exhibit here in Annapolis, me, Shannon, and one of our other friends. And the majority of the pieces that they had displayed were not from the wreck because the majority of the pieces that are from the wreck mm. are in the Belfast Museum. But there's also not that much. Yeah. So, And the majority of the stuff that they did bring up that has stuck around is like pieces of the ship or like certain Mm -hmm. pieces of jewelry from people or like even in some cases like suitcases or Mm -hmm. chairs or things like that Um, whereas everything else because of that you know change and all of those things completely broke down because there's just the shock almost 
as well as, you know, it's not going to stay the same over time. Like it was in a very specific situation in a very specific space. Right. <laughs> it's not good. You can't maintain that for and and like bring it up gradually. There's just no real way to do that because pressure makes it hard, all that. So yeah. all the things in this exhibit that we went to, majority of them were from the sister ships or were remakes or were things from the people who were on the ship that they owned elsewhere, that they were, didn't have mm. with them on the ship. So it's just fascinating to me from that perspective of like, I'm so happy the gold was in great condition. And like, it does give some good insight into those other things of like preserving those things on the ocean floor and how it does that and how we can potentially replicate that in museum spaces and conservation spaces to do the same for things that we are having a hard time holding on to. But yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I mean... Maybe we should just leave these things alone. We probably should because it also is a gravesite. But yeah. that's that's my main thing. I and don't... gold is cursed. Always. Has El Dorado taught us nothing? <laughs> gold is cursed. Gold I mean, that cursed. leads us to the second question. Why won't Tommy Thompson talk? Would Would you sit in jail for eight years? I wonder if there's some, there's got to be something else. Either he thinks that the repercussions are going to be greater than what he's dealing with now. And so he's essentially choosing the lesser of two evils. Or he has something else that he's just not divulged to anybody of what's happening. Mm. Or he doesn't know. The like trust has $20 in it. Yeah. If the trust has nothing and he identifies the trust and gives the phone number to the trustee and there's nothing in it, Mm -hmm. which then would go back on, uh, go back to, because he's still in contempt of court or was in contempt of court. He still is. It's uh, the American record, as far as I know, is 14 years for being held in contempt of court. And so this is on the long side. And this is this is where I come in because I've written extensively about debtors prisons in the United States. And, you know, courts do have their contempt power. I'm not trying to take it away from them. But at a certain point, yeah, uh, I, I just I don't like it. It also I don't know how much sense it makes because it's a catch 22. If there is something in that trust and he's saying I can't get it out of the trust or I can't, you know, like tell you what's in it. Until you let me out of prison, but they won't let him out of prison until right. they give him or they give them the the what's in the what's in the box like what's yeah. in the box <laughs> right I mean his credit the the creditors theory these investors from Ohio seems to be that the federal court can hold him in jail forever yeah and it, because it was because it was civil contempt he did not have a right to a lawyer when this happened and he did not have the right to a jury trial. It's not a criminal case. It's like a little crack in the law that he fell into. And their theory is that he can be held forever because he holds the key to his cell in his own pocket. So the theory goes, he just needs to pick up the phone. He just needs to sign the document and he walks out a free man. It's not debtor's prison. So to me, that argument, I don't know how long it works, but for me, it like, it works for like six months or a year, maybe. Yeah. But at eight years, I think it's time to let him out. 
what would happen if there is nothing in the trust and he does cave and give them access or the number or whatever it is that they're asking for? Well, what would happen to him after that? Because is it that he would be able to walk away or is it that they'd go, you still owe these people money and it would go back to the suitcases? That's a great question. There are significant judgments against him. So he he owes millions of dollars from yeah. this Ohio case. Yeah. If it turns out that there's nothing there, I think what would happen is the contempt charge would be purged. That's the technical mumbo jumbo for it. He's purged the contempt. He's done what he had to do. He gave the answer and there's nothing there. His creditors, so I think he'd have to be let out. And in fact, the judge has been saying for years, just make the phone call, sign the paper, we'll let you out. Mm -hmm. So then he leaves a free man. But I think then the creditors start investigating, why is there nothing there? Yeah. And similarly, the the authorities might also investigate. I mean, it is a civil, it's a civil action in origin, but I don't, I don't know everything that's happened. Um, and, and so... I, I, you know, I don't know. It all depends on, on what happened, whether the gold strikes were there and he moved them or yeah, or something else. I don't know. It feels a little bit Schrodinger's cat right now. Well, I, yeah. I mean, as an American attorney and law professor, I'm very uncomfortable with this catch 22 where a man stays in jail for eight years at the public expense over something like this. Yeah, there's no where there's no specific evidence. It's purely that you were in contempt of court, and the judge on on his whim gets to tell you when you get to come out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially. Well, and this, I mean, I don't know. The judge's name is Algernon Marbley. I don't know if it's Algernon or Algernon. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it is a good name. Yeah, Marbley. What a that is a mouthful. Algernon Marbley. As far as I can tell, I've never met the judge. I've never been in this court. I I met my my role in it. So I learned about this case from an alumnus from the law school here who is part of Tommy's legal team. I am not part of Tommy's legal team, but I I may be preparing what's called an amicus brief or an amicus brief where I show up in court and say, hey, I'm just a I'm just a guy who who cares about this issue and knows a thing or two about it. And this is what I think you should do. Um, But, you know, I don't. So I haven't met Judge Marbley. I think that he is a by the books kind of guy. I think he looked at the law and he said, you know, rules are rules. Yeah. There's no end date. The Supreme Court has actually said in a case that civil contempt is indefinite. Uh, My point is that indefinite doesn't mean forever. It just means we're not going to pin an end date on this, but there comes a time when when I think you need to let let someone out and say this this has gone on far l- way long enough. <laughs> Do you think that there's because technically there's precedent of fourteen years to keep someone in contempt that maybe that's the like you know if he doesn't crack that might be the end date. It it might be. One of the things lawyers do is wrestle up precedent on all sides. The 14-year mm. case obviously looks pretty bad, but there are cases on the other side where, you know, for example, a journalist will be ordered to reveal the name of their source. 
And they say, no, I'm not going to. And then the judge says, okay, you're in contempt of court. And in one such case, 45 days goes by, the lawyers work out an arrangement and she's out. Yeah. So I, I think actually the whole point of civil contempt is that it's meant to coerce. For the vast majority of people, that coercive effect happens very quickly. I mean, people don't want to go to jail. And if you're looking at a potential incarceration and the judge says, all you have to do is this, I think people, you know, most people take that seriously. But once you've been in jail for a year, two years, three years, do you really think year nine, year 10, year 11 is going to make yeah. a difference? I really I wonder, doubt it. I wonder if he's waiting for something. He could be trying to outweigh the judge. That's one possibility. Just if I wait long enough, they'll let me out. Yeah. Or um, if there's something happening on the outside that is just, I'm going to wait until this blows over or this like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just spitballing, yeah. but it feels either that he knows something the rest of us don't, or he's waiting on something because you're right. Eight years does not feel, it, it's not going to, it's not going to happen in the next 10 days, year, three years, if he's yeah. continuously held in prison. Like it doesn't, I don't know. Let me give you a visual. Okay. Tommy Thompson is 71 years old. He sits oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. My God, maybe he's waiting to die. He's 71 years old. He sits in a wheelchair. His hair is shock white. Maybe he's waiting to die. Or maybe he's getting good care in prison and he's like, eh. That could be. He doesn't have to take he has, care of himself. He has filed a motion asking the judge to let him out more than once. Okay. So I think he, he wants want to, be, to get out. He wants to get let out. And again, okay. from my perspective, a ton of crazy stuff ends up in bankruptcy court. People don't get paid. Creditors don't get paid. When you back out and look at this whole story, you have a genius oceanographer named Tommy Thompson. He raises money from Ohio. He goes down and finds a sunken vessel that's been undiscovered for 130 years and then doesn't pay his investors. I get that they're mad. Why this becomes a criminal case is beyond me. You sue him, seize his house, get the gold. I mean, I think even, you know, trying to get the gold restrikes is on the table. But after a while, it starts to look like what lawyers say, the tail wagging the dog. You've got the criminal system, which is supposed to be for like real crimes. And here we've got, it feels like the whole criminal infrastructure, this federal prison in Michigan, this judge, they're all being brought in to manage what to me is fundamentally just a fight about lost treasure. I love that the mystery of this is, is it a crime? And if he never talks, will this gold get lost again? Except this time, not at the bottom of the ocean, but somewhere deep in the legal system of Belize. Once again, Professor Hampson, <laughs> ending, ending well. There's wow. one other piece to this. Uh-oh, we what? Up. Well, everybody thought they knew how much gold there was on the Central America. It turns out that they had dramatically underestimated the amount of gold. No. <laughs> because as recently confirmed by the Navy, there were an additional 15 tons of gold, a secret shipment on the Central yeah. America that was being sent to the American Northeast to buttress the economy. And nobody knew about it at the time, but 
part of why the Central America spawned the panic of 1857 was this this oh. California gold, this West Coast gold was supposed to help save the East Coast economy, and it didn't get there, and it's still at the bottom of the ocean. So John uh, Tommy Thompson went down once, John Pidcock went down twice. The real question is, is someone going to go down again and get the real payload at the bottom of the sea? Um, which is many times as big as everything they've brought up so far. Does his company still have jurisdiction? Yes. They so they can. still have 92% of that. Why haven't they? Well, I think it's that this gold is in like a, they haven't found it. Uh, it's like in a box. Oh. Um, and it's very expensive. I think it's to hard to get to. Yeah. I, I think it was in a different part of the ship. I mean, you're Captain Herndon, you're sailing along, you've got all these people with gold. You don't really want them to know that on this post office vessel, there's a Navy stash of gold. There's um, secret gold. Secret gold. You don't want anyone to know about that. So it, it may have been in a different part of the ship. And again, like it's hard to get to. And and even though the sea, they, they found it, it was about 160 miles off the coast of South Carolina. I think about... I want to say seven or 8,000 feet under the water. So it's it's pretty solid at the bottom, but there's always like sand and mush and things yeah, at yeah, the bottom yeah. of the ocean. The more you're kind of cutting around and trying to get in, looking for a very, very specific thing, the more likely that you're going to submerge the wreck even more. Yeah, because like we said before, like with building yeah. a sandcastle, it just, well, and down there, there's enough pressure that if you create space, stuff's going to fill it. That's right. So, so we may never crazy. get it. I don't know. Oh, that's sad. Uh, but in the meantime, cool. I'm I'm in the free Tommy Thompson camp. <laughs> free Tommy Thompson. Okay, we'll get bumper stickers. Put it on the merch. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, filling in perfectly for Shannon. You're doing a great job. You got a treasure. I hope she's got. Situation. I hope she's got her uh, bingo card. Because she'd better have her bingo card out. You hear that, Shannon? You better have your bingo card out. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, wow. I have this book now because you pointed it out to me in a bookstore that we were in together. And I now have it with yeah, me. Yeah, it's a good book. So I'm excited to read it now. I was Gary waiting. Kinder did a phenomenal job. A lot of research. Yeah, I love that. I'll pass it off to Shannon once I am finished with it. And this story's not over yet. I mean, there are mysteries. Maybe we'll know. Maybe we won't. Years from now, maybe we'll know what happened to this gold. So the the coins that are on the market now are the originals, not the... That's right. Re okay. Not the remint. What's the... What is it called? The restrikes. Restrike. Yeah, because the restrikes are what they're wanting and all of them are missing. That's right. Quote, unquote, missing. As far as we know. Potentially in Belize, maybe in a storage unit that no one's looked in. That would be a hilarious episode of Storage Wars. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> They just are like, well, it's been well, since 2015. No one's paying this anymore. Let's just crack into it. And then there's just 500 restrike. Yeah, points. I got to get over to uh, Vera Beach and see if there are any storage units available for purchase. Maybe they just looked in the wrong ones. Maybe. Because it might have been that they put it under somebody else's name. It could they were be. Just, yeah. Got to do some detective work. That's right. Well, John Pidcock is working on that as well. So he's hired mm. some real life detectives. And, Ooh. Uh, he, he, may, he may get to it, but, but you know, it's, it's hard to say. This is very exciting. 
I like that it's in real time because usually we have a like an actual conclusion, you know, with questions, but an actual conclusion. Whereas this feels very much like we might genuinely know soon. We might, although, you know, Tommy's been in prison for eight years. So. And he's 71. That is a 71. weird thing to think about because, of course, of course he is like, you know, that's not a lie. But yeah. like in in my head, he was right. he was like a 45 year old dude. Well, I think that's about the age he was in the 80s when he started this okay. whole process. Um, okay. I guess I could figure it out. Well, math. When Don't he like was it. born. I mean, he started researching in the 70s, started researching the yeah. technology. Did he... When did Ballard find the Titanic? Was that 92? It was the 90s. That sounds right. right. Might have been a little bit earlier, mid-80s, because I, I think part of what kept... Tommy's team going was the news that Bob Ballard had found the Titanic. Ah. 85, I think. Is 85. Okay. So it's around the same period of time. They find. My brain said Titanic movie. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. I think 88 was when the Central America was found. So three, three years yeah, later. Three years. Yeah. Um, so they're probably using very similar technology to find their ships well i think that's right bob ballard had used the alvin right and the alvin i think was also a submersible that used a long cord to mm -hmm. communicate with the vessel again there's like as we all learned from that horrible story not some, some months ago it's very dangerous to send people down yes. and you can't do it wirelessly so you need a big old cord yeah so i'm fascinated now I mean, I was before, but I was keeping myself from being too fascinated because then I just would have done research. But um, I also want a coin and I want to see how much they are. If you have the link of any uh, of any kind of yeah. where we'd be able to find these coins for purchase, I'm sure they're like millions of dollars, maybe less or probably like thousands of dollars, but still. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Of where nice. I think you can buy them noise get a little bit of piece of american history to me to me this whole story is just it's it's among other things i find it infuriating i find it sad because yeah it's such an american story i mean it's it's the 49 gold rush it's the connection between uh, you know americans uh who had crossed by conestoga wagon to get this gold they come back they don't make it home on this boat it's a story about this entrepreneur who figures out how to do something that no one has ever done. And it just, it ends in such an unsatisfying, mysterious way. Yeah. I like though that there is a kind of, like there's almost a legend attached to it now. Like yeah. it's, cre we're in the midst of it creating its own legend. It feels like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because it, it's, it's not finished and we don't know answers. But we have the thing. We're just waiting on the the legend to build itself. Yeah. Well, so I mean, about the coins. I'm looking around on the website now. Here's a 1849 gold dollar. Oh. Small head. Um, fully struck, expertly preserved. Sold recently for six thousand six hundred dollars. 
Okay, so maybe dad doesn't get this for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> there go my plans for next Christmas. I'm going to have Dang to come up it. with something else. Wow, that is a lot of money. Yeah. Well, because they're, collector, they're collector's items yeah. as well. The 1870s was a good time for coin collecting um, because the U.S. had just kind of decided to send a bunch of coins out of circulation for the first time. So oh. when everything is kind of new and we're using all the same coins... It's not so important to collect them, but they, we used to have these very big pennies. And according to this website that I just sent to you, this, this auction house, once those pennies went out of circulation, Americans kind of said, well, maybe we should, um, maybe we should collect coins because now we've got coins that, they're, that the mint is not making anymore. I do wonder, because collections in general, how you value rarity versus like what 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 rarity turns into monetarily for just the collectors and it all matters on what the collectors are wanting like what the market is wanting rather than the actual rarity of the piece or the actual like vintage or the whatever the it happens in the book world too a lot also i want to clarify something the paper in the diary is probably perfectly preserved and fine and not disintegrating it's it it might be like not in good shape but most paper is actually at that point would have been made with water Hmm. so actually it's a great way to clean (laughs) books of that period but i don't know salt water with salt water oh well that's fair it is salt water but the the Moisture itself wouldn't have done anything. The salinity oh, would have. That is really interesting. Yeah. I do wonder whether there's like some bonus is, is probably the wrong word, but some premium on these coins mm. because of the story. See, but then that's part of the legend kind of feeding yeah. into itself and like the story becoming what the value is rather than the actual piece. Like the rarity of it and like the baseline facts still very cool but yeah. like the the story that's coming up behind it yeah pushes that market value up that's absolutely high. true and i mean there are a couple things about these coins that i think drive up the value one is let's say you've got these 1857 coins if if they get back to the northeast in a covered wagon they're going to get scratched and dented and bumped and, and if mm. they enter circulation by the time it gets into someone's hands in 2024, it's probably pretty beat up. Um, maybe someone realized that it was a collector's item 50 years ago, but it still had some time in circulation. Yeah. The coins on the Central America went to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And so they were very fresh and really well preserved in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So that increases their value. But I think also knowing that you're holding in your hands a coin from... Yes. Uh, from this wreck probably increases the value too. That is cool. I would have lick it immediately. I just I am not getting paid by the auction house, I should say. <laughs> I I I work for the it's people good... of the great state of Florida. I don't that's get a, paid that's a that's a good disclaimer. Coins. We should do a full disclaimer that anything anything that is said on this podcast is of our own personal citizen opinions and not a reflection right. of our employers. I don't Thank represent so Tommy, I don't represent his creditors. I have no financial stake in the case. I want to stay away from the curse of the gold. 
Uh, yes, I think there is a very high chance that there's an actual curse happening. Whatever that curse might be, maybe the captain, did the captain go down with the ship? The captain went down with the ship. That was my assumption, purely because you didn't say he survived. So my guess is that there was some kind of like, as he was, as he was dying, you know, last rallying cry of some kind of curse situation that, you know, he's hanging out at the bottom of the ocean going, mine, what are you doing? This is mine. And cursing anybody who brings it up. That really could be. Love it. I love a good ghost story. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing while the husband is away. Uh, where I'm just watching ghost stories. Ghost ghost adventures by myself. <laughs> nice. In the dark. It's not good. I have to watch like the nanny afterwards to like cleanse my brain. But you could watch everything everywhere all at once. No, thank you. Uh, on that note. I'm I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> is there is there anything else? Anything else you'd like to tell the people before we sign off? Nothing yet. I'll let you know if anything changes. Uh, um, yes. Or if we learn more. But it's it's a it's a live story at this point in time. And like I say, I'm I'm getting ready to try and share my my views with Judge Marbley and see if it helps. But yeah, we'll see what happens. We don't know the answer to all these things yet. And um, maybe a year from now or 10 years from now or 100 years from now, we will. That'll be exciting. I will be ahead in a jar and I'll be very excited to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> in the AI in which we've been preserved for a Yes, journey. that's the AI it. universe where we live. Oof, no. I want to be a Vaz. End of story. That's it. Okay. You know this. <laughs> You'll honor my wishes, right? Write it down and get it witnessed. See okay, thank you. I, from from the, <laughs> from the mouth of a lawyer. <laughs> on, on that note, my friends, please remember this podcast doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.